Hey friends, this is Marsha Epstein, and this is an episode of Talk With Me, recorded on May 24th, 2018. Seems like that should be in the future, but it is this very day. Very strange to me. And yeah, I said, hey friends, you know, because I kind of approach the world as there are friends, and there are friends to be, and there are a few other people. I've, I've found that out over time. It took me a while to admit it, but yeah, yeah, there are some not friends too. But anyway, they aren't listening, so it's all okay. <laughs> I am happy for this weekend because in Lawrence, Kansas, we have this awesome thing hosted by the astonishing Richard Renner. Lawrence Busker Festival starts with the Busker Ball, the night that we're recording Busker Fest. If somehow you haven't heard of it, if you're not close enough to the Lawrence, Kansas area to have experienced it, man, you're missing out because this is a major international event. And I'm serious about that. It's all kinds of performances taking over the downtown Lawrence, Kansas area. Um, different things from different kinds of magic and fire and movement and music and poetry and all kinds of things. And it is called Busker Fest. So if you're not familiar with that, what that means is here's the deal. There's not an admission charge to walk onto the streets. But every single one of those performers, this is their world. This is their work that they trained really hard for. So go to the Busker Festival with lots of paper money in your pockets to put into the hats, etc., of those amazing performers, some of whom have come from countries across oceans. Seriously, um, this year it was an opportunity for Richard to bring in folks from different parts of the world, not just different parts of this North American continent. So it's a really cool special event. You can find the website and a schedule actually for each day. But the thing is, is that whenever you come, you will have a blast. It's Friday night, it's Saturday all day, it's Sunday afternoon. And this is all in downtown Lawrence, Kansas. There's also this wacky thing that has become part of it on Saturday afternoon, what's called the Art to Go Parade, which with which features amazing vehicles, uh, loosely defined, created and constructed and decorated. And it's this amazing art community event that happens starting at the Lawrence Arts Center on noon on Saturday. It's this cool thing. And this is the 11th annual, excuse me, annual Busker Festival. And Richard is a performer, but also, again, the organizer. So he doesn't perform at this Busker Fest. He is also a consultant for establishing Busker Fests in other parts of the country. This is a big, fun, fun, fun deal. Know if you're going to come to town, yeah, you're going to have to park a bit away from downtown Lawrence because lots and lots and lots of people will be there and it will be a blast. So that's how Lawrence does Memorial Day weekend. Just telling you. <laughs> cool thing. And I'm excited for this show today because there is a cool thing coming up in mid-October in Kansas City. And the person who I'm doing today's show with is one of the hosts of that event, um, one of the organizers, which I can't even imagine because it's a huge event. And we're going to be talking about that. I'll just drop the name Fountainverse and we'll tell you more about that. And I want to welcome Jason Prue. Jason, welcome, welcome, welcome to Talk With Me. 
Hi, Marcia. Thanks so much for having me talk with you. <laughs> How's it going up there in Lawrence? It's going like, it's feeling like summer, man. It's it's lovely. Our peonies are in bloom. So I actually I'm sitting with windows open and the sweet scent of peonies drifting in. It's a lovely yeah, day. We have been out in the yard, my wife and I, many, many days and weekends the past couple of weeks, getting things nice and prettified. Ah, all righty. And, and I have to say, I noticed you looking quite spiffy with, with your youngster for a special occasion. So lots of things going on in your world, huh? <laughs> yeah, we had the first ever daddy-daughter dance at uh, my daughter's school. And school's finished up now, so now it's summer break. We had a big morning party yesterday. We played lots of loud music for them. <laughs> Get them cool. out the door all hyped up, and then they go to school for a few hours and then come home and wreck shop all summer. <laughs> how it should be i don't you know it's summertime you better let loose kiddos yeah absolutely absolutely so tell us some little tantalizing bits about you because there's no way you can sum up who you are and the things you do in anywhere close to the hour that we have for the podcast and and Although it is all about you, we'd also don't want it to be only all about you. So what, what are some things that might give people some idea about who is this person anyway? <laughs> That's all right. I don't like talking about myself too much anyway. I don't mind a little bit, but an hour would bore me. Um, I am I'm a writer. Um, mm -hmm. I'm also a technologist. Uh, I have been living in the Kansas City area for off and on 25, 26 years. Um, a father, a husband, um, and someone that just likes to make people laugh and think and, you know, bring people together. That's, uh, you know, you mentioned fountain verse in your intro, and that's one of the reasons that I jumped on board. And I think everybody else that's involved did is we really like bringing folks together. You know, the readings mm -hmm. and the art is one thing, but to get a bunch of poets in a room that don't know each other. Uh -huh. uh, there's some magic that happens there yeah. that I'm really fond of um, in terms of building community and being part of a community. Mm -hmm. And it's something I didn't get a lot growing up. I moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. My dad was in the military. So we, uh, <laughs> we moved around many places. So I'd make friends real quick and then have to leave them. So uh, when I realized I'm going to make Kansas city, my home, I also realized I need to put some roots down in other ways rather than just being a you know, going to work on a nine to five um, and raising my family. Like there are other parts of what it means to be part of a community. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot. And you know, the things that you said about connecting to me, that is, that's what I love about art and, and word art, painting art, sculpting art, dancing movement, well, you know, all the arts is it gives that opportunity for people to connect and to think about things and to, no, they're not alone and to be inspired and hope and all these things happen. And still, it's kind of like when I started this show and said about friends and yeah, there are some not friends. <laughs> you know, the artists who I adore are people like you that it's it's about everybody. It's not about me, 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 only me, I have to be the best, you know? It's about the people who who work hard on their own art and also bring other people up at the same time. Yeah, I think, you know, there's always a certain amount of, of egoism when you're an artist. And there are things that, that 
matter to you that you want to matter to other folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've found to be much more productive is taking that drive to be excellent and working with other people to make each other better. Mm-hmm. So that if you really kill it at a show and I see how good you are, rather than being <laughs> jealous to say, hey, I'm going to take that and make my next show better based on what you've just done. And hopefully you take the same thing away from that. And I put a big value on, on, on being a good critic in addition to being a good friend. You know, I want people to, to say this is where you're not working out as well as you should. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm much more concerned with bringing people together than I am with driving folks are apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> the thing about not friends, you know, they're few and far between. Like most right. folks are pretty easy to get along with. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, readers are very easy to get along with because they have developed a sense of empathy based on their reading that non-readers, uh, we hope we can share that with them and say, you should read because it really helps you understand better what it means to be human. Yeah, true. It's another form of listening, you know, that that hearing through words on a page or words at a mic or, you know, however you encounter it hearing other people's experiences and stories and paying attention to that. That's it. Different viewpoints are, are they're hard to come by in your day-to-day world. You don't really get it from the news. You don't really get it from your, your work. You might get a few stories here and there if you're lucky and you do listen. Um, but a good book or a real, you know, intense poem can put you in another person's head. And I think that can do nothing but add value to a society. Yeah. And and then there are those random conversations that do the same thing. I, I'm one of those random conversation people, you know, that, that what, what, I don't know why this particular one comes to my mind, but, but I, I remember being at the grocery that I go to and seeing this gentleman looking at this, this selection of tortillas. <laughs> And and I said to him, you know, I don't know whether you've ever tried the ones that they make here, but they are really especially good. And that started a conversation with him telling me about his first wife who made the best tortillas ever and sadly experienced cancer and died with that cancer and lots of other life stories. I mean, he gifted me with these stories from his life and it was like all started by tortillas. <laughs> I, I love that story. Yeah, those random acts of just, hey, I'm going to reach out to you and then I'm going to listen to what you have to say and not just yeah. <laughs> blow you up, <laughs> you know? So that's what, I mean, that's a little bit about me. I just, uh, I live a pretty pedestrian life, um, and I, but I'm lucky in that I'm able to help out, you know, and I have time and the privilege to be able to write. Uh-huh. Um, and I have a real strong family, which, which helps a lot to you. So. Uh-huh. so when do you write? Because you do have a lot going on, especially in this year with Fountainverse being bigger than the throwdown, Kansas City poetry throwdowns that, that this was sort of rooted in. When do you have time to write? Yeah, I will usually, it's a really good question because I think about that sometimes myself because I have a lot of things that I put out. Um, and I look back and I'm like, damn, how did I get all this done? Um, 
a lot of it is done in the car, like voice memos when I'm commuting mm-hmm. back and forth to work or over a lunch hour. Um, for the poetry in particular, because I write everything, but for poems in particular, they come really fast to me. It's almost like I blank out and then come back and there's a poem there that I have to shape up. Uh-huh. So they're really fast. Uh, it, it doesn't take too long to get one out, and it'll take a little time to shape it. Mm-hmm. For short stories and novels, like they're just a lot slower for me because I have to get into a certain mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a novel I've been working off and on since the first of the year, and it's just... <laughs> Here and there, I mean, it's, you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, wherever I can squeeze in time. Mm-hmm. Um, some days are easier than others, and I'll go weeks. Uh, poems, I usually write two or three a day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but, you know, the longer form stuff, it, it, it comes few and far between, but it will come out in spurts. It's just like, here it comes. All right, it's been building up. You know, and a lot of writing is just done in my head before I even get anything on the page. Yeah. And when you say novel and and you're talking about it coming slow and you say you started at the first of the year, I'm thinking I talk to people who are writing novels for years, you know, before they're at that point where this is pretty close to done. And and then my other thought is right next to me. So I'm sitting because of the way we record the show, I'm sitting with my mic and my laptop and my timer and this pile of books. And the top one is your rad Christmas book. And then on the other side of me is a novel that I'm reading right now, which is by a poet, um, Karen Miriam Goldberg, who is a former poet laureate of Kansas. And yeah, yeah. Resident. yeah. So, so I'm reading Miriam's Well, her new novel right now. And my point is that people who have the gift of poetry who do write in other genres, man, readers read those books because they are so rich in imagery and things to think about and experiences. I mean, I, I, I'm reading Karen's book after having read a, a very different kind of book um, by a friend of mine in Oregon. And, and the contrasts between his kind of sci-fi fantasy, sparse, lots of detail thing, and the richness of the characters and everything sensory in Karen's book. It's like, oh, man, I want to read more books by poets. <laughs> you know who's a great example of that is Margaret Atwood. Uh-huh. Um, if it, she's a phenomenal poet, and, you know, her novels are just, like, just luscious with, with language. Um, so, yeah, there's really something to that. For, for my long form writing, it's uh, <laughs> I don't know how informed it is by the poetry because I really want to do different things with it. Uh-huh. Um, but I hear you. Most of my favorite novelists often work in other genres, and you, it comes across like like Atwood's definitely one of them. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree that there is something to a a poet who works in a longer prosy form. And mm-hmm. the language, the way they use language is just way more informed by that other, you know, piece of literature. I mean, you have to, as a poet, you're working in such a terse space and, you mm-hmm. know, two words can mean a world. Mm-hmm. And you take that sensibilities with you when you're, you know, more focused on a paragraph and a page than you are a word or a sentence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When did you start writing? Uh, I started writing, so I'd always been a reader, very young. 
And then in fifth grade, I found a copy of Stephen King's novel, It, that my dad got from the library. <laughs> and I saw how engrossed he was in this book. And I'm like, wow, that's something that can pull somebody into a book so big had to be neat. So I started reading it and I got oh, pulled yeah. into it. I was scared as hell. Uh-huh. Um, but I started reading it and I didn't get to finish it. He had to take it back to the library because I was really slow and I had to read it like when he wasn't reading it and on the fly because I know I'd be in trouble if I was reading this book. (laughs) But yeah, he would go to work or come home late and I'd be reading the book and then put it down. But the long and the short of it is after that, I tried to write my own book. And that's when I realized like I I can do this. Uh, And then it wasn't until freshman year of high school where I finally got to finish it and then devoured all of Stephen King's books. And he, wow. that, that he, I think he sort of sparked me into thinking I could be a writer. And then it was rap music, like in the lyrics, in particular, of a lot of the uh, the more black power rappers, Public Enemy, Boogie Down Productions, X Clan, Poor Righteous Teachers, like that. They were doing something different than a lot of like gangster rappers in terms of how they were just putting messages in their in their music. Mm-hmm. Um, that I can't say I related with because I couldn't speak from experience you know as a little white kid but i respected and i wanted to learn more about and i thought man i could do that and i realized i can't really rap but i can write poems <laughs> and I, I i started doing that i started uh writing all the time and they sucked for years and years and years <laughs> and i went to school and i was going to be a psychology major and that didn't work out and bummed around for quite a while, you know, just trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do. Finally went back to school to study English. I realized this is, I don't know why when I first went to college, I didn't think you could do English or writing. Like, just didn't seem reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went back to school, I realized it didn't matter. I, you have to go to school. If you want to learn something, you should probably, like, have, it should be the thing that you really give a shit about. You yeah. know, if you're just going to school to go to school, you're wasting your money. Yeah. Um, and some might say it's a waste of money anyway, but I got a lot out of my <laughs> education later. <laughs> That's a real debate we have with our kids, Marcia. Like, yes. should you go to school anymore? Yeah. Or should you get out in the world and figure out, like, how to be an entrepreneur or how to be an artist? Yeah. You know what? I, I think there's value to the education in humanities, but it seems like our society has devalued humanities. Like, if you go to school, you've got to go to business or you've got to be in sciences. Not to say those aren't worth anything at all i mean that's you know the world works but there's something to a generalized education in humanities where you get philosophy and histories of civilizations and that i think it really empowered me to just learn more about the world mm-hmm. and i finished that up and at the same time i found out kind of i had a type 1 diabetes and that kind of just changed the trajectory of what i could do because i planned i was going to be you know hey i got this plan that getting really sick like that changes a lot of things. And so you, this was bef- way before Obamacare. So you had to have a job to have insurance. You couldn't mm-hmm. afford not to when you have um, an illness like diabetes that requires so much maintenance. So I was pretty much forced to work from that point on. You know, I was kind mm-hmm. of a slave to my my disease. So I decided I will just write on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always been something I've done. I don't re- really remember too much before not wanting to write things interesting is are there other writers in your uh, family of origin no not necessarily my grandmother on my dad's side she was a hell of a writer but she uh-huh. never really 
did anything with it. I read some of her letters that she penned back and forth. Uh-huh. Um, and they are, I mean, her, her art, the way she would craft arguments and everything, it, it was really, really like, oh, this is where this comes from in my family. Uh-huh. You know, there was a direct line between the way she would address her audience in the letters um, uh-huh. and her use of language. And I have super talented folks on that side. My, uh, my uncle was a professor of, Ru- professor of Russian folklore at Columbia. Uh, my aunt is a real talented um, jazz singer and musician. So there's definitely the creative side on that on that side of the family. Uh-huh. Um, but none that have actually just taken and that I'm aware of that that do this crazy thing that writers do. You know, hold uh-huh. yourself up, <laughs> wall yeah. yourself off from everything, and sit in a room for a while and try to crank out some words that hopefully mean something to someone else. Yeah. How did you start getting your work published? I started off self-publishing, and then I realized that was okay, but you have to do so much other work when you self-publish. Like, you have to be your marketer. You have to do layout, design. Some of that stuff mm-hmm. I really liked, but a lot of it is like, wow, there's, <laughs> there's a, this is way more work than just writing books um, and doing promotions, all that stuff. So I submitted a short story to a magazine and they paid me $25 for it. And I was like, all right, there are, there, there's hope here. Yeah. And that just kicked it off from there. I started putting manuscripts together, um, found out, you know, initially my first book came out through the pop poetry series. And I just found out about that. Um, by wandering into Prospero's one day and picking up Jeanette Powers pop poetry books. Uh-huh. And seeing that uh, their call for the second edition, you know, the second round they were going to do of that series, I thought I could probably do this. And it worked out great. You know, we got a a great book out of it. We got a movie out of it, um, a live, like, film, which cool. is kind of the highlight of my career so far. All right. And the whole, I mean, in in my starting the podcast chapters that became artists are almost only people who are, excuse me, guests are almost only people who are artists. Um, I I s- sort of came to that from actually really connecting with the spoken word poetry of Sean Shane Coison, who's a Canadian so, uh, spoken word poet, then kind of came back to, so what's going on around me? And one of the most generous people to really help me start making connections was Kansas City's own Sarah Glass misconception. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which connected me both to Sarah had been in Lawrence for a while and hosted um, an open mic at the Jazz House in downtown Lawrence. Sarah introduced me both to some of the people who were still in Lawrence who were doing a lot of poetry as well as that Kansas City connection that that has blossomed, you know, when I think about, you mentioned Jeanette Powers and, you know, Prospero's books and Jason Reberg and Jen Harris and Uptown Arts Bar, and it goes on and on. And, and I've seen the, some of the growth in, in that set of you in Kansas City, and it's amazing and wonderful. And this pop poetry idea of, a book a month, which everybody thought was not 
possible to do has been going strong. And it's not the only poetry series that is basically housed at Prospero's and Spartan Press. Very cool No, stuff. Yeah, Reberg over at Spartan is he's kind of a madman in, in what he attempts and what he pulls off. You know, Pop is, is done. They did three years and it did burn everybody out. But what an experiment. And that's the mm-hmm. only the only series of its kind that I know that has ever taken place like that, where it was a poet, a month, a full book, and a show. Yeah. Uh, there is really something commendable about that. And I, even in the small press scene where there are, you know, there's a lot of powerhouses working, like that to me was a feat of just pure endurance and, yeah. and will to say, we have all these people that are doing this. Let's, let's get them out there. Yeah. So you know, there's a, there's a lot of great known poets, like known by, yeah. by, you know, nation, uh, nation, national standards, like right. Ann Boyer, who is my favorite poet, and she lives and works in Kansas City. She teaches at the Art Institute. Um, and she is world-renowned, but she's not really that known to most of the the workaday poets that I think that are working in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Kansas City has some really world-renowned writers living and working in it, too. It's what we're trying to do with I think all of our scenes were trying to just intermingle a little more and yeah. get some of these little lesser known folks meeting some of the more well-known folks and vice versa. Like uh, that's something else that we're trying to do. And especially between the spoken word scene and mm-hmm. more of the, I, I don't know, street underground. I don't know what you would call like the folks in my position who, you know, we're just writers. We don't really <laughs> have a scene. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, it's just, but getting, that cross-pollinization of yeah. two different communities of writers together to see what can come of it. Uh-huh. Which is awesome. So tell us, because there's so much going on that is going to manifest in October 12th to 14th, Fountainverse. Tell so, yeah, our listeners about that. Yeah. So Fountainverse started off a few years back um, as the KC Poetry Throwdown, and we brought up brought a bunch of poets in and had them just read back to back to back. It was awesome. Everybody had a good time, but it was exhausting for not only the audience, but for the organizers to try to keep things going on time and for us to even get a chance to meet with the the poets. Uh, I think Brandon mentioned to you, you know, he and I were doing audio video. And so there was no break for us, period. And when it came time for the show to be done, we were just beat. Like, I don't even want to hang out. You know, I'll have a beer and go to bed. So what we decided to do this year was we're going to focus more on small presses, reach Mm -hmm. out to them, have them do a lot of the collation of readers and bring them to us. Mm -hmm. So we reached out to presses all over the world. We've got Epic Rights Press coming in, Outlandish Press. So Epic Rights is uh, out of Canada, Outlandish Press out of Cleveland, The Cringeworthy Poets out of Buffalo, Aslan Libre out of San Antonio and Right Bloody out of Los Angeles. Uh, so they'll all be coming in. They're bringing readers with them from their presses. So these are the folks whose books they put out. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do kind of a, a split showcase each night, a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday night, the uh, 10th, 11th, 12th, 11th, 12th, 13th, that second weekend of October. 12th, 13th, 14th. We're going to have an hour and a half for a press, and then or an hour for each press, and then a half hour for kind of a Kansas City roundout. So we'll have local readers from the KC community also reading alongside. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
we have a, I have a list of confirmed readers I'd love to just share with the audience, like who's coming out. It's going to be uh, Wolf, yeah, Wolfgang Carson, Todd Cirillo, and Rob Plath are coming to represent Epic Rights. Um, from Kansas City, we've got Iris Applequist and Victor Clevenger. Uh, from and Outlandish. Is yeah, also published by Epic Rights. He is. So he'll be reading he that night kind of with them, but as also a representative of Kansas City, like, hey, here's someone from KC who got published by this press. Uh-huh. You know, part of what we're trying to do is network yeah. all of these presses and all of these poets together so that there's a not only a sense of camaraderie, but a place for you to go. Like these mm-hmm. guys, hey, we run shows in this city. We run shows in this city. Come visit us or come yeah. visit four or five of us along the way and make a little mini tour. Um, so for Outlandish Press, we've got R.A. Washington, John oh. Dorsey, who is a phenomenal. They're all phenomenal. Everybody here that yeah. I'm going to tell you about. But to see John live really can change some people's lives. He delivers with the with the vengeance that yes is <laughs> unlike anything I've ever Big, seen. Big loud voice <laughs> and just m- really moving stuff. Yeah. Like you look at John and he's just this happy little hippie kind of guy. I, he probably. <laughs> cringe at me calling him a hippie but he looks like one he's not yeah. but he, yeah. he's got this big burly beard and long hair but he gets up there and he just delivers it with all his heart and you know he's yeah. a mentor to so many people in yes. um the small press scene so it's always good to have him out Zena smith will be here from outlandish press um some more kansas city writers we've got sophia mcdougall will be here uh, let's see, from Cringeworthy in Buffalo, that whole crew is coming out to read. So Nathaniel William mm-hmm. Stolte, Jennifer Skelton, Misty Cambacera, Julio Montalvo, they're bringing along with them uh, a couple of poets they've published, Nadia Wolnisti from Dallas, and Tom Dreitman. I'm not sure where he's from, but he's a Cringeworthy poet. Mm-hmm. And then from San Antonio, we've got Aslan Libre. Um, Aslan is run by Juan Tejada and his wife. And they're doing something a little different because the, most of the poets that they have published are kind of West Coast authors that can't get out here to KC. Mm-hmm. He's going to come out, represent the press, but we're going to have members of the Latino Writers Collective read cool. some selected works from Aslan Libre. So that's going to be really, really a cool, a cool setup for how they're going to do their, um, how they're going to represent their press. And then we'll mm-hmm. also have uh, Jose Faust's on the creative board. He's going to bring in some other members of Latino Writers Collective Uh to read their own work too, the Kansas City um, scene there. And then we've got uh, the Right Bloody folks who we don't, they want to come. We just don't have confirmed readers for them yet. And they Uh do spoken word poets. So they're one of the few presses that publish spoken word poets. Um, And that's one of the real struggles that we had bringing the spoken word scene into this whole fold was, Uh you know, we're focusing on books. Uh We want you to have books. Mm-hmm. So we were looking for presses in the spoken word scene that were publishing uh, spoken word poets. And we found awesome. there's way more than I knew. We found them. Mm-hmm. Um, so next year, we'll probably each probably actually have a couple because there are a lot more out there than what we initially thought. And mm-hmm. that's been good. That's been real eye opening for us to know that, um, you know, these people that are doing the spoken word stuff, it's not that ephemeral. There are actually they're making they're making books, too, which is good. Mm-hmm. So we're excited. It's it's a big networking event more than anything else. Mm-hmm. We want to put on shows for an audience. We want people to come. Um, we're going to have a, a book fair. We'd love you to come and buy books. Right. But everybody that's coming here knows, you know, selling books is very, very difficult. Um, and that's okay because this event is for, and if you as a writer are listening, 
come, come and meet these people because it could really put you on a path towards something you had heretofore dreamed about. Yeah. And I know amongst the writers, there'll be a lot of trading of books. People who come that you have, I want to just plug this. This is not an event only for writers to attend. You know, you don't have to already be identified as a writer. You probably want to be identified as a reader. I don't know. <laughs> but but the opportunity to hear the variety of poets and styles of poetry, to be able to hear the different kinds of messages, you know, that is a huge gift. And you're going to hear things that mean a lot to you personally that you would never have guessed. You can't plan it in advance, but things are going to connect with you in deep ways. And this is another example. I said it about the Busker Festival. We need to go to events like this with dollars to spend in our pockets. I'm going to say, and I say this a lot, but a lot of people who might go to this event are people who regularly spend money on fancy coffee drinks. So give up a couple coffee drinks and buy a poetry book while you're at Fountainverse, where you'll also get to have people who are the writers of those books sign your book. It's really awesome to have been at a reading, hear this person reading, and then have the words on the page, and even better when you've watched them sign your book. I mean, it's, it is it is a challenge for people to say, I'm going to buy books, but man, do it, because there are books that are going to mean so much to you that are going to mean, like, I will say, okay, so yeah, I am a social worker, and I work mostly with people because they're not sure they want to keep staying alive. That's how things feel and how their thoughts are. And amongst the things that I loan to people are books of poetry that have messaging that they might not get other places, but to read this poet who is sharing these things on the page, that's building hope and connection, even through words on a page, man. It's, it's really important and meaningful. And so my, my words are often by the books Buy them as close to the writer as you can. Buy them from the small press. If you have to order it, buy it, if you can, through an independent bookseller in your area. You know, Support this art scene by how you spend your money. And again, you, know, you can give up a couple of coffee drinks. You, know, you can. <laughs> and, and that can pay for a book. <laughs> it's doable. And to add, to add to that, and I don't know about you, but for me, I, I can hear and watch a poem but I often don't get it the first time. Right. Like I got to refer back to it. And that's yes. why I want the book. So I can say, I really like that, but I know there's more there than what you just told me. Yeah. You know, a, a, a poem can work in a billion different ways as we all know, but one of the ways that it's more renowned for working is multiple layers of meaning. Uh-huh. And you don't get that the first time through, you know, right. the poems that last are the ones you need to really dig into and sink your teeth into. They shouldn't be so obfuscated that you just don't get it. Yeah. But there's layers there. There's metaphors that, that come together after multiple readings. You're like, oh, my gosh, now this poem has completely changed meaning for me. Or yeah. now it's opening up in whole new ways. And there's really unless you have an audio recording, there's only the only way you can do that is by having the book in front right. of you and just right. looking over it. So, yeah, you know, I'm just a fan of books. I really like making books. I like having books 
I'm fine with electronic books and I'm fine with audio books. I love both of that. But to have a physical book, especially something that, you know, has been put together in a way that's meant to be held and it's meant to be looked at, mm-hmm. and, you know, like an artifact or a piece of art, like those are the books that I really love the most. And why I like small presses a lot, because they can do things um, that aren't that feasible for larger presses in terms of uh, letterpress covers and interesting ways to bind books. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of the the presses, and I know you couldn't have everybody, but one of the presses that you didn't mention, um, Night Ballet Press, which is Diane Borsenix, and I kind of think Diane's going to be at Fountainverse. I may be wrong about that. But so I th- she will, I think her and I think Crisis Chronicles, John Burroughs, they're, mm-hmm. I think they're coming out, and we mm-hmm. will have a space on one of the days for mm-hmm. all the people that come, mm-hmm. like an open mic or a kind of a non-listed feature. So we do encourage everybody to come and we're going to have an open mic and we'll have after parties. So even if, mm-hmm. you know, you're not invited to read and we just do that, like you said, because there's only so much space we have right, and we right. really want to spread it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Diane's books are gorgeous. That's what, crafted, that's what. Crafted yeah. with love. Yep. Yes. Yes. Beautiful to look at the whole um, really, that that is another part of the experience with some of the books. It's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, you know, and it and it that adds to the experience. So uh, there is a Facebook page and there is a website, so people can search Fountainverse KC Small Press Poetry Fest. You know, you'll find it and and. It is October 12th through 14th. And the reason that I knew that at the top of my tongue, top of my brain, is because I get to do a little sneak preview here in Lawrence, Kansas on Thursday, um, October 11th, the night before Fountainverse actually begins. Um, I I get to, uh, as Wolfgang says, MC um, at the Raven Bookstore here in Lawrence, Kansas. it's going to be Wolfgang Karstens and Rob Plath and Todd Cirillo, plus two Lawrence area poets, um, Macy Webb, who has had some poetry published through Jana Carlson's Svenska Patchy poetry blog, and also Barry Barnes, who has been published through Mammoth Publications, um, who is an, a, a, just a, a wonderful street performer of music and poetry. Um, so so we're really excited that we get to say to people, you know, come get a tiny taste here on this night and then go spend your weekend in Kansas City, man. <laughs> yeah, it's going it, to, it will be, it's really hard to, to highlight how, <laughs> how awesome it is. Uh, it, it's one of those things you just got to be there. You will have a good time and you will meet some some characters, I guarantee it. Yeah, yeah. And one of the cool things that I always see happen when there are big events with poetry, when they're when they're really public events, that you know that that you end up you getting you get some of those teens who are starting to write, you know, who come for inspiration. You get people who are there for a lot of different reasons, and and everybody has that opportunity to to actually meet with somebody and get that sort of extra inspiration. And it's, it's such a welcoming thing. I mean, 
fountain verse is all about connection like you said it's it's all about people getting to know each other and hopefully having things in the future together and we know we know that happens you know we've seen it happen it definitely happens. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you from the past two years, there have been networks that have sprung up um, that would not have ever happened. There's, you just you can only do so much online, and I think you know you can make great friendships, but when you are face to face and sharing a beer, sharing a laugh, yeah, um, something comes together in a way that you might not have ever understood your connection with that person mm-hmm. had you not ever met them face to face. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's somebody I want to work with. Or that's somebody that I feel like we could do more together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a hell of a time. I strongly encourage everyone to come up. It's free. Mm-hmm. You know, we, so yeah, the money that you can save on uh, getting attendance to one of these events, you can definitely buy some books yeah. or buy beers for the poets. They'll appreciate that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I have a question about like, do you need people to help out People, obviously, they'd have to sort of be vetted in some way, but do you need people who are willing to open their homes to house poets? Do you need, you know, are there some things that people can do to be support for Fountainverse in that kind of way? In, in Definitely. Kind of we will be opening a call for volunteers probably mm-hmm. over the summer. Um, we're working out logistics for how folks are traveling to get a better sense of. So a lot of folks are just, they're going to want to stay in a hotel, you know, just they don't want to be a burden or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, they just prefer the privacy. But for those that, hey, we'll crash, yeah, we will definitely be putting out a call for volunteers and people that we know for that level of help, but also help running the event. Like, hey, we're going to need somebody to help us, you know, set up, take down, um, mm-hmm. man, the book, man the book fair, all sorts of the little administrative things that we're going to open up for volunteers. And hopefully the folks that come out to volunteer are, you know, fans of literature and recognize it's an opportunity for you to see kind of the behind the scenes of how something like this works. You know, it's not, uh, it's not rocket science putting something like this together. It just takes steady, slow attention. Uh Um, But it's work. It is definitely work. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's it's work. And, and, but it helps if you've got a good team. Like that's one thing that we found out, you know, the, the first couple of years, this thing was run by a single person and it, yeah. it was maddening. Um, yeah. Not, it, it all came together in the end in this magical bit of chaos, but we've definitely found by spreading out the load between the four folks, uh, myself, Brandon, Whitehead, Jeanette Powers, and Sam Slutsky, and then diffusing that even further out to making the presses somewhat responsible for getting their people here and giving us this info. Yeah. It, it's really helped distribute the workload, so it's yeah. a lot more manageable. Yeah, cool. And shout out to Samantha, who's going to perform and teach at an event in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, what a great turn of events for her. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. So we are talking and there's all this excitement. That, I, mean, I, want, I want listeners to be as excited as we are about the things we're talking about. I also want them to have the opportunity to hear some of your writing. We haven't done that yet, Jason Prue. What would you like to share of your words that are your words in print, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll share, a, I'll do two for you right now. Um, they're relatively recent. And uh, yeah, I, the first one comes from a series that I'm working on uh, called the uh, Huron Cemetery Poems. And they're kind of my take on Frank O'Hara's lunchtime poems. Um, they're a little bit longer than his were. 
But, you know, he would go around walking around New York City on lunch and just write these fabulous poems about everyday life in the city. And I took that as an inspiration, and I work right next to the Huron Indian Cemetery in Kansas City, Kansas. So I'd pop over there on my lunch breaks and sit in the cemetery and write a little bit. So this one is uh, Huron Cemetery Poems number 7, May 10th, 2018. Many unmarked graves in this area. William E. Connolly, survey of 1895 to 1896. In Kansas City, we finally lost the spring. We finally lost rebirth. The birds now arrive too late. There is an ambulance, a fire truck, a police car, a sleeping man, a city bus, a casino, and authentic Mexican food. I mistook for a woman carrying a baby, a woman carrying her coat and shoes. Bare feet traipsed through the cemetery grass and not one eye open for green snakes in the sun. Google says they don't bite, and I have long forgotten what my grandmother once told me about the legless. For years, the rumor in our family was that we were touched by Cherokee blood, had my genome sequenced over Christmas, and we were all made to forget many things Grandma once told us about us. Remembered then that history can always be erased. History is a dandelion seed born high upon a lost spring wind. History is bone and word and point of view. My body ages and aches because of history and a lack of magic mushrooms. Walking across the curved earth, our feet gather dust and pain, but after a while, we recall how to traverse over sharp objects and how to respect the dirt. In Kansas City, we leap from cold to hot and shift with the quickness from flight to shot. I dreamed I needed a history to claim a home, but what can a history be without a home to first anchor it? Grass grows where it's allowed until it remembers its history. Nature doesn't take sides. History does. Dandelions grow where they are needed. And do you see how many dandelions there are? In the daytime, we walk over sharp, broken bones, and our thick-soled shoes provide such sweet relief from constant hurt and filth. But in the end, they completely wreck our posture, and we find ourselves lost somewhere between winter and summer, reading through our travel diaries and seeking trained hands to help us stand up straight again. Beautiful. And, you Thank know, you. for me, when you started and talked about this Indian cemetery, my, my brain goes to here in Lawrence is the Haskell Indian Nations University, which started as a boarding school to basically whiteify native youth. Yeah. Uh, there there is a cemetery on the grounds that is a children's cemetery. Children who died at the Haskell Institute. While at the boarding. Yeah. Yeah. And children I have a, babies uh, up to teenagers. It's it's yeah. It's uh I have a I used to deliver pizza in Lawrence when I was going to school there and I would deliver to Haskell mm -hmm. and <laughs> I would make my delivery and then for whatever reason, like on certain days they'd be doing uh, drum circles and I would just yeah. hang out in the mm -hmm. lobby and, and watch them for, you know, 30 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a real gem of a school. Yes. I don't think people really appreciate how, how special that place is, you know? Yeah. And the transition to what it is compared to how it was started. What, the history of it is, yeah, yeah, there's a big difference there. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, I'd like to read one more for you. This is yes. uh, 
is called 13 Ways of Looking at Our Problem. It's after Wallace Stevens' poems, 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird. One, after 122 dead school children, the only changing thing is that no things have changed. Two, they are of one mind like a target in which there is one silhouette. Three, our bullets whistle in the winter winds. What small shells do they leave behind? Four, a man and his God are one. A man and his God and his gun are one. Five, we do not know which to prefer, the beauty of tension or the beauty of release, the hands before pleading or just after. Six, caskets line the green lawn while we defend barbarism. The shadow of the law wavers to and fro. The intent of the shadow is our infinite cause. Seven. O oh, thin leaders of mortal men, why do you believe in possibility? Do you not see how the base are swayed by the whims of the stories that surround them? Eight. They speak the Savior's tongue in unstoppable rapid-fire rhythms, but we see now that the devil is involved in everything they do. Nine. We bury the bodies out of sight. We mark their memories with one of many gray stones. Ten, in the face of reason, like a banshee's scream, the green bonds of fraternity keep us all muffled, weeping. Eleven, we ride across America in a silent ambulance. Once a fear shook us, and that we took the shadow of the law as immutable. Twelve, the tide is rising, the dead are rising. Thirteen, it was all over the evening news. We were dying and we were going to die. Another active shooter leaves his mother's loving arms. Wow. This is our world, huh? Yeah, and I don't know why. Yeah. It doesn't need to be that way. Yeah. <laughs> That's the frustration of all, all the, the political state that we're in, really, for me, is, you know, it's not, it's not that difficult to not be an asshole. Right. But it yeah. seems really hard for for folks to just admit when they're wrong, you know? Yeah. And that things have to change for... That things have to change. You know, and the, the real clincher of that particular poem there is just, you know, the law is not... <laughs> it's not... It, the law is not immutable. You can change laws. Right. And there are times when it becomes the right thing to do. You know, I, I would get really tired of arguing online with, uh, and I don't do it anymore, but I would argue these points back and forth. And it just seemed like you're talking to a, to a brick wall. And I'm sure the other folks I was arguing with felt the same. You know, it's like, we just, we're talking past each other here. So these conversations are much better for me when I do it in an artistic way or I'm face to face with someone talking. Mm -hmm. It's that to me, it's a challenge that came up. Gosh, think about going for me back in time and in training about diversity and cultural issues and that that thing about how do you, how do I as a person remain open? How do I help other people remain open so that we can hear and learn from our differences rather than putting up that shield of defensiveness and 
being a broken record for whatever we're wanting other people to believe. And that to me is part of why I value art so much in the current times, because I think sometimes people are opened up to messaging that they wouldn't get otherwise. Partly, you know, but you, you bring up a good point though. That's a facility that you can train yourself to get better at. Yeah. You know, but you first have to admit, I don't really know much about what it means to be inclusive (laughs) or to, you just got to say, I've just not experienced that, but I'm willing to learn more. Yeah. And it's something that you can train. You can train yourself to be better at, at being better. Yep. But you've just got to admit, you know, and none of, all of us, all of us have the issue of we, there are things we can improve on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's there, what's, you know, that's what's good about the world is people that think things can be better and they act on it. Think they can be better for everyone. For everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. There is definitely uh, a modifier that needs to be there. Better for everyone. And that that's what's more, like, I guess, and that's the thing, too, like, striving for the good of everyone is much more, there's more lasting value than striving for the good of just yourself. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it lasts a lot longer, and you feel better. Yeah. I think people tend to forget that, you know, working in isolation, striving for just number one, it doesn't make you feel good. In the long run, it doesn't make you feel good. What mm-hmm. makes you feel good is helping out other people. Mm-hmm. And so if nothing else, just do it because you ultimately are self-interested and you want to feel good. So it makes you feel better if you work for other people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So are did your work change a lot? Because from my perspective, the world changed significantly with the last presidential election that I've, I, as an American, was confronted with. There are enough American voters who say this is better than that and that horrifies me and I guess I needed to know that and I need to know what I need to be able to do some things in my life that that I think are are demonstrations of sort of the other side than what our national regime is you know I but I but for you as an artist I don't know whether you sort of sense this coming in advance or, you know, so my question goes back to, you know, did, did that, did that time, did that presidential election change um, you and your art? I think I became very disillusioned and I had hoped initially, uh, you know, I became disillusioned with the country as a whole. Mm -hmm. I've always felt that the two party system itself is just kind of, messed up and capitalism is messed up as much as I'm all everybody is tied into this system I think it's broken beyond belief Um, and I do think it's going to take a real revolution from somewhere to just bring it down and and rebuild whether Mm -hmm. that's actual blood and damage I I certainly hope not but I think Mm -hmm. just an intellectual revolution will suffice Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't think I realize I think a lot of my peers are in the similar situation I didn't realize how deep the undercurrent of of fear was that drove I think the results that we saw so and I had a lot of high hopes for art in this era but I haven't seen even myself I haven't I just haven't seen art do much to sway the conversation yet 
unfortunately. You know, I'd hope for a lot more. And I think people are talking, but I think what's really what's really changed and I hope continues uh, in that vein is women and taking control of things mm-hmm. and just saying, look, we're going to run for office. We are going to do this the way we want to. And if you want to come along, come along with us, but we're not going to be quiet anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's probably the most lasting. That's going to be the most lasting and impactful thing that we see from the Trump presidency, however it ends. Because mm-hmm. um, that's a good thing. That is a good thing about America. Knock on wood that it doesn't change. You know that something doesn't upset that, but it will end. Mm-hmm. Like this is going to come to an end. And I really fear. I've mentioned this before to somebody recently that had things gone the other way, we would have seen a lot more violence in the streets. I think uh, the um, the folks that voted for Trump are very well armed and very pissed off. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been a lot messier had. Um, had Clinton won, so in 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 one sense, this happening has been a great outlet for them to say, "It's let off some steam." Uh-huh. For whatever they felt, their needs weren't being represented or looked at. They can also see, "Well, this president did nothing to help you either." Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of smoke and mirrors and a lot of talk, mm-hmm. but the, the fact is, you know, the the way of life that the uh, the American dream promises really isn't sustainable mm-hmm. and that's i think the older i get the more sad that makes me <laughs> yeah. you know just like it, we know that this that this late stage capitalism and unbridled growth is a facade and that somebody pays the price either the working class in this country or entire other countries pay the price for our lives here yeah and it's it's a hard and bitter pill to swallow uh, and those are the kind of changes I really want to see uh, politically, yeah. but just on a local level too. Yeah. So yeah, to, that's a long winded way to say, I think my perspective on my writing changed and that I needed to vent a lot more um, and make sure that I address these kind of issues in the best way that I can. And often that's just, Highlighting that the other side sometimes has a point, but it's often, I think they miss their own point in that it's often based out of a fear of losing something um, that was never theirs to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of a pessimist about it all, but in the end, I am optimistic that this will end mm-hmm. and there will be some other new problem that we have to face, but I hope we can face it knowing that, you know, it, it's, it's, like we said, started off this conversation. It's better when you work together. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it is. It's, it's being so bitterly uh, opposed moves nothing forward. Yeah, and I think I know for me personally, it's essential that I believe that the things that I do, even one on one, can make a difference you know, to this person who I've encountered to, you know, I, the, the tortilla story I shared, you know, that enriched right. both that gentleman and me. And, and that was a good thing. And, and so I think it's really important that we all know that we have the opportunity to be the goodness in our interactions with nature and 
animals, with people, with, you know, we have that opportunity, even though um, we may not be the ones who make the most visible change. Every little good thing that we do is important. And you're not separate. Like everything that you do impacts or you have been impacted by that leads, leads you to doing what you're doing. There's no, you know, the, the myth of uh, you being separate from nature or me being separate from you. It's just that. It's just a story. Um, and it's the wrong story. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's not a separation there. Um, there's a distinction that you have to make to get by in the world. You know, I can't go around thinking I'm you or I'm going to get put in a mental hospital. But at a, a you know, spiritual, almost mystical, like, sense of it. Mm-hmm. Everything we do impacts everything that's being done. Um, and, you know, you're not separate. You're not separate from your neighbor. Right. You are. You know, it, it, and that local, that local action, like you said, that face-to-face, the day-to-day things that you do have a far more, um, far, far more reaching impact because, you know, you, you may really help that guy who's just wanting to share some stories about his wife and life. <laughs> he had nobody to talk to that day. I think that's yeah. really important. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, where that's where I want to take. You know, my poems are always weird, and the two I read you are pretty straightforward, frankly. And I have a lot of other weirdness that I didn't get into, but you know, the more heartfelt things, and I'm becoming less afraid of emotion, I think, or not bearing the emotion that I have in sort of surrealism um, and just the uh, downright anger I have at you know the state of the world. But the yeah. sense of, of ultimate optimism and real love that I have for humanity as a whole, like I know we are meant to do good things. Yes, absolutely. And, so that's our our opportunity we're tossing out to our listeners as we wrap up the show. You you have that opportunity to do good things and to know it really does make a difference. It really does make a difference. And some of those good things that you can do, I'm just going to say again, can be supporting local art and I'm very serious when I when I make that transition. Supporting local businesses, local art being putting your time and money in the places where you really want to, because that's what's really important to you. Because honestly, how you spend your time and money really does say who you are. So for me, that means my pile of books continues to grow. Small art pieces that may even be as small as a card that has a photograph by a, a an area photographer, you know, that, no, no, I don't have thousands of dollars to spend on a painting, even if I really like it, but there are other things that I can do. And so that, that messaging and connecting through art, I certainly encourage people, you know, to do that. We mentioned the Fountainverse event that's coming up in October, you know, that's going to be a great thing of connection and art and filling souls. And and Jason, you've got a variety of books that you gifted me with that include one, you know, that's on the whole different side with, with Jeanette Powers to grow a whole the size of everything that's filled with your words and her art. And and the red, white, and blue series that that, you know, talks through the first months of 
2017. Uh, so much, so much good stuff. So, so I'm saying to listeners, you know, check out stuff, you know, be out in the community doing good, include art events in those, read, listen, all those good things. And Jason, I, I do want you to give one little piece of information that we hadn't talked about that I wanted to. Part of the goodness of your family is there's this wild wash soap thing going on. And I, and I want to mention that and I will have a link. Yeah, I would that? love to. So my <laughs> wife, yeah, she, she runs a, uh, an all natural, um, all natural body product company and it's called Wildcraft Co. And part of that is wild wash soaps. So she does all natural soaps, face creams, perfumes, deodorants, um, and you can find her stuff online. She is an amazing woman. She's an herbalist, um, an artist, and just a, a really powerful, powerful woman in this world that I'm really lucky to have in my life. But her stuff is phenomenal. The things that she makes for you to use on your body are great. And once you smell it, once you use the soaps in particular, you'll never go back to anything else. So definitely check it out, <laughs> Wild Wash Soap. All right. And if I could say one more thing, not about that yes. much, but about you, I, I really wanted to thank you on behalf of all of the writers and artists, and I know they all feel it in their hearts, but just to say to you, we really appreciate the way that you handle this podcast um, and the ties that you make amongst our communities. I have been turned on to so many writers and artists because of this podcast. Um that I never would have been. I might have seen their names, but to hear them talk, to hear them read their words, and to give them just a small amount of time to, to tell their stories is really valuable. So thanks, and I really appreciate all that you do Thank for you, the artists. Yeah. Yeah, I love doing it, and it happens through people connecting each other, you know, so that's what it's all about. Thank you. And I want to thank Daniel Smith because he's the one who did the tech stuff so people could hear us, and that's thanks, pretty Daniel. important. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Jason Prue. Thank you, listeners. And keep listening because there's good stuff coming. And so long.